Hello, my name is David Thompson from the Fraser Valley in British Columbia with a message for all those that are hungry and thirsty for reality, for ultimate meaning and destiny in your life. So I want to refer you to my website at ultimatemeaning.com where there's a flip book with very original writing and thought by the gifting of the Spirit of God through me. Now you can look at that and you'll notice there's a lot of print that's highlighted in red. Those are links to very profound and amazing YouTube videos that show from many fields of science the reality of what I am sharing here. Science, archaeology, and so on. And what I am sharing with you here is about the reason for which you exist and all things consist and exist. And that reason is an ultimate source of reality. And behind that reality is an ultimate perfection and manifestation of love that is the very source of love. So check that out at ultimatemeaning.com. This is all about the one true eternal God for whom to know is life eternal. Now, I'm going to begin to change things in these messages a bit differently. I want to immediately get into the worship song that has been chosen to go with these messages. And then after that song, I'll explain briefly how I share these messages. So we'll first of all have that song brought forth now. In just one moment here, the song that was chosen for today is this song. <laughs> Oh, 
it is. We with him shall reign if we suffer with him. And so there is a verse that says, Yea, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. When we are conformed in our inner being in a great measure to the love of God, so that we love what God loves and hate all of those things with the intensity that God hates that are contrary to his love, we will suffer persecution because we will be bold enough to reprove and, and expose deception and corruption. Now, I want to share with you briefly how I share these messages for all of those that may be new. The Word of God says in 1 Peter 4.11, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. And this is further explained in another verse or understood from another verse. Revelations 19.10, which says, Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. When we worship God in spirit and in truth, out of a genuine love and reverence towards God, we are filled with his spirit in an overflow beyond ourselves that results in creative utterances so that we are speaking words that are coming from the spirit of God. As it says, worship God because out of that worship comes the spirit of prophecy that testifies of the reality of God in Jesus Christ. It is out of worshiping God that we speak as the oracles of God, or in other words, speak prophetically, not necessarily in the sense, mostly not in the sense of foretelling the future. That's not what this is about here. This is about allowing God by his spirit to speak through us. And it should be so in all things. The more we do that to others out of love, the better it is. And in the early church, when they came together, they came together with total liberty and freedom to allow God to move through each member of the body as the Spirit moved, as it were, like a wind upon the gardens, allowing the perfumes from those various herbs and flowers to flow forth in a beautiful aroma unto God. And so one would have the freedom to share the song. The Spirit of God rises in you. You don't know what you're going to say. I know what it's like. I've been in a church where they practice this spirit-filled church, baptized in the Holy Spirit. And when the Spirit would rise in me, sometimes God would give me a seed thought, and I'd think, well, how am I going to sing this? You just, but you get so caught up with loving God, you're not conscious of the people. And the Spirit of God comes forth, and it comes forth as a beautiful song. Because you're not caught up and worried or concerned about what people think. You're caught up with your love for God, like a lover that's totally in love with their lover and they see the beauty of their countenance or some other aspect of them that they delight in and they describe it and tell them how much they love them. And so one has a word of encouragement, a word of exhortation, word of knowledge, a prophetic word. That's the way it was in the early church. There was total freedom for people to share as the Spirit of God moved within them as they were given that opportunity at the appointed times in the body to share. And so you shouldn't have to ask permission to use a mic. If the Spirit of God is moving on you, you speak. Well, I am going to seek to give this message out of a heart set and a mind set of worship. And so out of that, I prayed that I will speak what God is saying by his spirit to the churches. And one of the things I do to facilitate that is I cast lots on the scripture to get through a rand some random applications on the internet, choose the possibility of any chapter from the Bible with two different random applications to get two chapters, that those two chapters might bear witness with each other as to the theme of what God is wanting to say by his spirit. I meditate on those two chapters for a half an hour, so I have very little preparation, and then I speak, not knowing what I'm going to speak. I don't know what I'm going to say today, but I want to be caught up 
in the Spirit of God and worship and speak out of a consciousness of worship what God is saying by His Spirit to me as an individual, to you as an individual, and to the churches in this crucial hour when there is such great danger and darkness in the world and so much corruption being exposed in so many places of government and other organizations, educational systems, and so on and so forth. It says in the Word of God, the casting of the lot and the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord in Proverbs 16.33. It was extensively used in the Old Testament by Joshua, Moses, the patriarchs, many others. And it was used by the early church to choose the apostle who would take the place of Judas that betrayed Christ. It was used by powerful movements of revival like the Moravians who even in church history chose their wives by the casting of lots. So it's very scriptural to do this if you are doing it in great reverence and awe and are walking in a good, loving, right relationship with God at work. So I want to share with you the two scriptures I received today to give a message to the churches as to what God is saying by his spirit. And so I want to turn now to those two passages that I received today, which are here, February the 9th, 2023, Thursday, Deuteronomy 31 and Judges 7. And there's a very clear theme between these verses, which I didn't even get chance to type out because I just wanted to spend a half hour. But the theme between these two chapters is that those that know God shall be strong and do exploits. Those that are walking in a close, intimate love relationship with God are walking in holiness and in purity. They will be strong and they will do exploits. There are many believers nowadays I have met in my pilgrimage as a believer. They love going to meetings. They can spend hours watching all kinds of speakers on the internet, all of these things, and their lives don't add up at all. They're not living a holy life. There are teachers even in the charismatic movement and Pentecostal movements that teach that you can just live and you can have your sexual leash and you can have all kinds of imaginations in your heart and it's okay. And then you find out these people, some of them, I'm shocked. I'm shocked at what's happened to me recently and I can't go into that in detail. But there's someone that's falsely accusing me of all kinds of things and telling it to people in the church. And I think one of these people is gossiping it around. I'm not going to try to fight that battle. I'm going to let God fight that battle because I know I'm walking in a pure walk with God and out of love and that this other person is well it's just beyond description I do think they have part, possibly some kind of schizophrenia that would make them do what they do because it's so extreme what they're doing but this is an example there's all of these things taking place we're in a time where we need to be those that when we are attacked, the enemy can't find anything in us. Anything in us to push our buttons, to manipulate us, to get us off track, and to take away the power and the anointing that God wants to bring in our lives in ever, ever greater measure. To break the yokes of bondage that are in people's lives. To break the powers of darkness. Especially when we gather together as believers so that when we agree as touching anything, gathered together not in our own motives or interests, but in a, out of a utter love for God, in Jesus Christ, gathered together in the name of Christ, means that you are in conformity to the being of who God is, that there's no sin in your lives, that you have no unconfessed sin, 
You're, you're not gathering together in his name. But when believers gather together in his name and are not deceiving themselves and justifying a life that is unholy, there will be much love for God and for one another and much power and authority. So let us look at these two passages I received today by the casting of Lot. The first passage is in Deuteronomy 31. Now today is Thursday, but last Saturday I received Deuteronomy 32, which is the Song of Moses, and is on basically the same theme. And what is eye-opening about Deuteronomy 31? is how powerfully God used the nation of Israel to conquer these nations and destroy them because they were so corrupt, offering their children, burning them alive in fire to demons and all of this. And now we see how this thing is perpetrated around the world in this hour. Satanic worship is rampant. I even saw the other day on a particular show I watch, which is a link in my website at ultimatemeaning.com or loverealize.com. I have a lot of news links there that are good news links. I watch the Stu Peter show. I don't agree with everything I see in the Stu Peter show. I've seen some things on there I totally don't agree with, like um, Flat Earth. That's total, you know, why would you interview someone with that? But despite all of that, there's a lot. You don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. And so, you know, there's these different places that are exposing. And I saw the other day them interviewing some government official. I forget. I think it was, it might have been Idaho or it might have been somewhere else or Illinois. I'm not sure. But it was these Satanists that are outwardly saying they're Satanists and saying because we're Satanists, we're allowed to have these abortions and we're allowed to kill these children because it's part of our religion to do it. And they're doing this and thinking they're going to legally, you know, they're going to justify abortion legally. They're coming out of the woodwork like that. Well, let us read what is in this passage here in Deuteronomy 31, 3 to 8. The Lord thy God, he will go over before thee, and he will destroy these nations from before thee, and thou shalt possess them, and Joshua, he shall go over before thee as the Lord, or Yahweh, hath said. And the Lord shall do unto them as he did to Sihon and to Og, kings of the Amorites. And these, I believe Og was 12 feet or more tall. He was an enormous giant. And unto the land of them whom he destroyed. And the Lord shall give them up before your face, that ye may do unto them according unto all the commandments which I have commanded you. Here's the verse. Be strong and of good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God, he it is that doth go with thee. He will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Fear not. It's a command. We're commanded not to fear, nor to be afraid. Because we can know when God is with us. We can know that. And Moses called unto Joshua and said unto him, In the sight of all Israel, Be strong and of good courage, for thou must go with his people unto the land which the Lord hath sworn unto their fathers to give them, and thou shalt cause them to inherit it. And the Lord he it is that doth go before thee, he will be with thee, he will not fail thee, neither forsake thee. Fear not, neither be dismayed. When you know a love relationship with God and you're right with God, there's a scripture that says the righteous are as bold as a lion. When you know that God is with you, you can know strengthen your inner being of the exceeding greatness as it says in Ephesians that we are to Paul prayed that the Christians would know the exceeding greatness of his power towards them that believe now Paul the apostle also mentions it this way he said we were pressed out of measure 
in great trials to the point that we despaired of being able to even live, of life itself. But God allowed it in our lives that we might not trust in ourselves, but in God that raises the dead. When we have a strong moral persuasion in who our God is, out of love for God, because it is out of love that faith is released, for faith works by love, the Word of God says. We will be those that are fearless. What does it say in 1 John? Perfect love casts out fear because fear has torment or is, causes uptightness. The wrong kind of fear is a consciousness of loss. You're worried about what's going to happen to you or you're going to suffer all this pain or, or they're going to torture me or whatever it is if you've been caught and you're about to be persecuted. Right now we see all these terrible atrocities happening in the Ukraine and in Russia and all the suffering there. And we're wondering, oh, and then there's all this happening with indications of possibly being on the verge of World War III. Are we going to be those that are fearful? Or those that know that no matter what we go through, God is with us? What happened to Daniel, Shadrach, and Abednego? They didn't care if they lost their lives because they knew their God. Throw us into the fire. God will be with us. If we die, we go to be with the Lord. Now I'm writing a book on life after death. It's titled, what am I saying? I'm writing it. I have recently published a book on life after death titled Afterlife, Incredible, Irrefutable. 368 pages in print and you can get it in Kindle format on your phone. Check it out. Man, this this world is insignificant compared to the next. In fact, your life hasn't even begun here. The real life begins in that other dimension that is far superior to this dimension. I don't have time to talk about it here. And so there they were. You don't have to fear the fire. They that do know their God, this is a verse in Daniel. In fact, I'll go to that verse right now at the bottom here. And such as do wickedly against the covenant shall be corrupt by flatteries. But the people that do know their God shall be strong and do. Or it says here, exploits, not in the original Hebrew, but it means they're going to do amazing, impossible things because of God's power in their lives. Like it was with Daniel, Shadrach, and Abednego in the furnace. And the context of this verse is interesting because it was a righteous king, Asa, who was righteous all his life, but in the end he fell into presumption because they were caught up, I guess, and they were being, he was so successful, he was prospering his nation. That's when pride can so easily enter in. And so instead of trusting God to deliver him, he went to the Syrians and paid them money to fight his enemies that were threatening him and stopping northern Israel from coming down to worship God. Anyhow, that's another point there. But that's the context of this verse that says, pardon me, it's not Daniel 11.32, my mistake. It's the one up here, 2 Chronicles 16, 8-10. Then Azza was wroth with a seer and put him in prison. But it says here in the middle of all of this, that was Asa. He was angry at the seer that reproved him for going to the, uh, for going to the Syrians for help. And in the context of that, it says here, because thou didst rely, earlier he relied on the Lord and he mentions that. And then he says, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. God commands us to walk before him and be perfect in the Old Testament and in the New. This idea that we can just live and, oh, we're not perfect. No, we're not wanting to be proud and say, oh, we've achieved perfection. That would be totally wrong. God is always purifying us. But we should always have that view, that mindset, to always be totally pleasing to God, totally in love with God, walking in a place where there is no sin 
that we are committing even in our thought life. And I want to go on about the thought life here after I go back here and point out some other verses in Deuteronomy 31. For after God is sharing with Israel that he's going to use them powerful, that he's going to be with them, it is quite insightful to see what he says later on. In Deuteronomy 31, 27 to 29, for example, it says, For I know thy rebellion and thy stiff neck. Behold, while I am yet alive with you, this is Moses talking, this day, ye have been rebellious against the Lord, and how much more after my death? The Lord says the same thing a bit earlier in this chapter, so maybe I'll bring up that in Deuteronomy right here, or not, I mean, the, the scripture up here. Uh, because if I go to Deuteronomy here, I can point out to you that further on, down here, the Lord says to the children of Israel some pretty amazing stuff. Here we read in verse 17, or beginning just, And the Lord said unto Moses, Behold, thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, and this people will rise up and go a-whoring after the gods of the strangers of the land, whither they go to be among them, and will forsake me, and break my covenant which I have made with them. Then my anger shall be kindled against them in that day, and I will forsake them and I will hide my face from them, and they shall be devoured, and many evils and troubles shall befall them, so that they will say in that day, Are not these evils come upon us, because our God is not among us? And I will surely hide my face in that day from all the evil which they shall have wrought, in that they are turned unto other gods. Now, therefore, write ye this song for you and teach it to the children of Israel. Put it in their mouths. I have to move this thing up. Song may be a witness for me against the children of Israel. For when I shall have brought them into the land, which I swear unto their fathers that floweth with milk and honey, and they have eaten and filled themselves and wax and fat, then will they turn unto other gods and serve them and provoke me and break my covenant. And it shall come to pass when many evils and troubles are befallen them that this song shall testify against them as a witness for it shall not be forgotten out of the mouths of their seed. For I know their imagination which they go about even now. So here is God saying that the ones that are about to be used to conquer the land and walk in victory, and God is going to be with them, that even now there are people among them. He is scanning the imagination of their heart. He sees their imaginations. He sees all their imaginations and thoughts. His eyes go to and fro throughout the earth, as it said in that other verse, to see those whose heart is perfect towards him, what does it say? It says in the word of God that the out of the heart are the issues of life. God is wanting us to bring, as it says in the New Testament, we are to bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. In other words, to love God with all our heart is not a matter of merely outward performance. It's far more a matter of the heart, which means that even our thought life should not be filled with the thoughts of fornication and all of these things that certain teachers justify to justify an unholy life. By their fruits ye shall know them. And this person that I've helped for years and poured out of my time and energy and money, I'm, my heart is hurt. She's like almost a daughter to me in a certain way. My heart is hurt for her. 
that something has possessed her to do all of these things. It, I think it's a mental problem, but it is really a terrible attack. And uh, I have to learn to be strong and to trust God to fight my battles, to rest in him, not to panic and go and say, oh, I got to go over here. Oh, they're going to spread a false rumor about me. Oh, I'm so worried of all these rumors. Oh, they're going to think I'm such a bad person. I don't care what people think. I care what God thinks. I do care that he is glorified through me and that the work of the enemy is exposed. But I learn to obey the Spirit, to walk with God, to not move out of panic like Asa did, going and calling for the Syrians and giving them money to fight Israel. We must learn to trust God in all our ways and in all our ways to acknowledge him. Then he will fight our battles. He will bring the deliverance. Now this is where the other chapter comes into play here. So we're going to go now to Judges chapter 7, and I could also in here go to Judges chapter 7. So here we are in Judges now. I'm going to put the video on pause for a moment, but I'll be right back. So in Judges chapter 7, I'm sure many of us are familiar with the historical account of Gideon in Judges chapter 7. God calls Gideon in a time of great apostasy. This is after Israel is in the land for a while and they've fallen prey to worshiping other gods. And God begins to move because there's a remnant in the land. It may be a very small remnant, but there's a remnant in the land that is seeking God. And here in this passage, we see God revealing his power to work through those, though they may be a very small remnant, that are totally walking in a loving, loving, pure, holy love union with God. And brothers and sisters, before I go into this, I don't want some people to condemn themselves and to condemn themselves because they're having a struggle in the flesh with temptation and all of these things. I don't want you to condemn yourself and feel like you're too weak, okay? I have struggled with temptation like any human being. I'm a 74 and I've been single all my life. I've fallen many times in the imagination of my heart. Many times I have sinned, but I've never in my whole walk with God, failed when I sin, when I have imaginations, maybe while I'm sleeping, that result in a, whatever it is, a sexual release or so on, I repent before God and I ask him to forgive me because I want to love him. And I don't want to grasp after what he has not given me in myself. I want to learn to not grasp after anything but him. And so I repent. And it says, though a righteous man falls seven times, yet will he rise. And I have failed many times in these areas. But as I went on, I became more and more victorious. Because, what does it say in the word of God? Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute sin. If we are genuinely sorry that we've displeased God and somehow deceived ourselves, we can get up with a determination that we're going to trust God. And we're going to learn not to trust in our own strength, but to trust through the Spirit to take away that desire. We pray the desperate prayer. Take the very desire away. Take the thoughts away. When you pray like that, God will give you the victory. And you will find a wholeness coming into your being that is from the holiness of God. The holiness of God births wholeness, and it births a deep indwelling presence of God that has within that such authority and power and fearlessness because you're not in love with the world. And of course, the love of the world can be in many things besides that. 
But I want to encourage those that are struggling that you can know your God and do exploits. And what it says here is this. And the Lord said unto Gideon, the people are yet too many. So here God has told Gideon, he's torn down the, the altar that they were all worshiping and they were ready to kill whoever did this. But God told Gideon to tear down this altar after he visited them with an angel and said, I've chosen you to deliver Israel. So he goes and tears down the idol. And then when these, they're angry and come against him and all of this, he says, well, your God hasn't delivered you from the enemy, has he? So why are you worshiping him? Let's turn back to God. And they turned back to God and they came around him. You hear the instructions from God to attack their oppressors. And so here he is with this large group of people. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people are yet too many. Bring them down unto the water, and I will try them for thee there. So God was able to try them to see whose hearts were perfect towards him by what he commanded Gideon to do here. This shall go with, okay, okay, and I will try them for thee there. And it shall be that of whom I say unto thee, this shall go with thee, the same shall go with thee. And of whomsoever I say unto thee, this shall not go with thee, the same shall not go. For he, so he brought down the people onto the water, and the Lord said unto Gideon, Everyone that lappeth of the water with his tongue as a dog lappeth, him shalt thou set by himself. Likewise, everyone that bowed down upon his knees to drink, and the number of them that lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, picking it up. In other words, they didn't get on their knees. They just picked the water up and drank it like this. And the number of them that lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, were 300 men. But all the rest of the people bowed down upon their knees to drink water. And God saw that the ones that drank this way were ones that were very alert. They were always wanting to be alert there and drink and be ready at an instant. I think that's possibly what was the difference there, was God was seeing that their hearts were the ones that were ready. And maybe they didn't want to get their clothes wet too. Who knows? by kneeling down near water. So how, what happens? But if then this happens, the Lord tells Gideon that the 22,000 men that were with him were too much. Now, I didn't paste that part in here, but it's almost worth reading it, although I don't want to take up lots of time. But you know, if you, we go here, to this passage. Oh, it's not that one. It's got to be Judges chapter 7. Uh-oh. We um, kind of have to turn back to Judges chapter 7 here. So there we go. Judges 7. Hmm. This is very um, different than I thought. Okay. It says here, now, now therefore go to proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead. And there returned of the people twenty and two thousand, and there remained ten thousand. And this is a multitude coming against Israel like the sand of the sea. You know, tremendous number. They're way outnumbered. Even with 22,000, they were way outnumbered. And the Lord said unto Gideon, Now, why did God tell them that? It says, And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand hath saved me. 
You see, they're going to become proud. God is aware of this tendency of pride when there's abundance that has corrupted them to the point where there is all of this corruption in the land, but now he's raised up a standard. For it says that when the enemy shall come in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him, and he uses Gideon and this remnant. And so he whittles it down from 22,000 to 10,000. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people are yet too many. Bring them down unto the water. And then, of course, he's left with 300 that only took the water out of their hand instead of licking it right out of the lake. Wow. He says those are the ones that are going to go with him, and we know what happens. They go and position themselves, but even then Gideon was fearful. And so we read about this, and I want to just go down to that part. It's in this part here. Um, and here's what we read. But if, this is God, the Lord speaking, Yahweh speaking to Gideon, but if thou fear to go down, go thou with Pohura, thy servant, down to the host, and thou shalt hear what they say, and afterwards shall thine hands be strengthened to go down unto the host. So, if you're fearful in your life, even when you're living maybe a very pure and victorious life, that doesn't mean there isn't a human aspect of fear. Don't hide the weakness before God. He will strengthen you in that weakness and will encourage you if there is an element of fear. Bring it before him. Lord, I'm fearful. It's not wrong to confess that you're fearful. Because you can confess that you're fearful, but also have a confession that's deeper in the heart that you are, regardless of fearfulness, over far more in reverence and fear of God and in love for God but that you do have that, you bring it to God, and God strengthens you, as he did Gideon here, because they go and they sneak up on the enemy, and basically they overhear. It must have been a bold thing to go really close to the camp of the enemy like that night in the bushes and listen. And he hears this person saying, And when Gideon was come, behold, a man that told a dream unto his fellow said, Behold, I dreamed a dream, and lo, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the host of Midian and came onto a tent and smote it that it fell and overturned it, that the tent lay along. And his fellow answered and said, This is nothing else save the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel, for into his hand hath God delivered Midian and all the host. So they must have had even people that were prophetic in their camp. They told them what was going to happen. And sure enough, with those 300 men, they all blow trumpets surrounding all of that enormous camp in the mountains, and they break their pitchers, which sounds like a bunch of army armies taking the swords out of their sheaths. And they hold their lamps, and they think, oh, these are different armies representing different armies that they've got against us, and they go in a panic and they flee and they start killing each other off and are totally destroyed by each other. God is calling in this hour his people to be those that are fearless because of their love for him, because they have learned to love one another what does it say in Zechariah? Over, over and over again, it says in certain sections and chapters in Zechariah, not to imagine evil against your brother. It's not a matter of merely outwardly not doing things. It's a matter of the heart, that even in our heart, if we have evil thoughts arising in our heart towards our brother and sister, that we immediately say, Lord, forgive me, cleanse me of that. I don't want to think that way. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. When we are remnant, we might seem so small that we might be very intimidated by the multitudes that are coming against us, that are persecuting us, that are misunderstanding us if, if we're in the church. There can be that too. 
as long as we love and we learn to love those that are brothers and sisters that misunderstand us, learn to wash one another's feet, to receive one another as Christ received us, to share one another's fault that you may be healed. It is love for the world that causes hardness of heart and division, and God is calling the church to repent of it. I've written a book called God, Headship, and Body Invasion, which gives many suggestions of what you can do in your congregation to not limit the fullness of the headship of Christ from inhabiting your local assembly. To let God have his way, God is calling for us as his people to never go back to being the church the way it was. He's calling for us to repent of loving the things of the world and for leadership stumbling the sheep by even talking about sports in a meeting, as far as I'm concerned, is wrong because so many people are stumbled by spending hours and hours watching sports and they don't pray. And so someone's getting up there in the middle of a worship servant service and telling people about the score of the hockey game or the football game or something? Come on. We're in the presence of God. What does it say in the word of God? The things that are highly esteemed among men are an abomination in the sight of God. What are you doing spending all your time doing that when it says to redeem the time because the days are evil? It is time that we repent of these loves, the gods of amusement, the gods of pleasure, the gods of materialism, and turn back to him. It doesn't mean that you're going to have a boring life. It means the opposite. It means that you come into a relationship with God that those things that have been so tantalizing to you become boring and shallow compared to the subjective experience of communion with God and not just subjective, but in every other way of fellowship, of creative things that God will call you to do with a way he has uniquely made you and gifted you. Maybe it's in art. Maybe it's in poetry. Maybe it's in building things. But redeeming the time as God has called you to redeem it in good works, which he is foreknown that we should walk in, that we might fulfill the fullness of our destiny in this world. And so there are many that we can look up to that are examples that have gone before us. If we're facing persecution, you can look up to people like of course, above all, to Jesus Christ and what he went through, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. And it says, if we suffer with him, we shall reign with him. And those that live godly in Christ Jesus suffer persecution because the light exposes the darkness. And when the darkness is exposed, there's persecution as much as it was the case with Abel, who was persecuted by Cain. God is calling us in this hour to be those that learn to have unconditional for good, love for God and for one another. Even when there's misunderstanding and hurt, we learn to go out of our way and wash our brothers and sisters' feet and say, I see this good thing in you and I have this fault. Could you pray for me that I'll be strengthened in this area even though they may be the ones that have far greater faults and have hurt you? If you go that way and talk to them, you'll win them. You'll love them. You can in meekness restore that. I need to do learn that more too. I am praying for that to be more and more in my own life. So brothers and sisters, the time is short. It is very obvious from what is happening in the world. And he wants you, as an individual and as churches, to become everything that he's called you to be. This is the hour to rise up and conquer your nation with the gospel, with the love of God. This is what will solve all the serious, impending judgments that we see coming upon us the nations upon Canada here, upon the United States. It's pretty obvious. Because these messages are going on YouTube, I don't want to go into any specifics because I've already had one video canceled. So thank you for um, watching this message. And please support me in prayer. And financially, I am in a difficult time right now. Um, 
I'm praying my book will sell on the internet. It's not doing, it's taken a while for, I can't, I can't spend a lot of money in advertising. So I'm just gradually trying to get that going. But I'm praying, you know, for help, for support. I want to be free. I want to be free of all the debt that I got into and business attempts and so on in the past because I was deceived to do too many things in my own strength. Not wise, but now I've become wise. Now I've learned my lesson. But I do want to be free of this debt that I got into and uh, be able to go without this distraction and burden and serve Christ. So pray that God will bring breakthroughs in my life financially. And uh, God bless you all. I appreciate your support. Just go to loverealize.com. There is a place there where you can support me if you want, if you feel so led. And uh, we'll be continuing these messages.